0: Feel like the sermon has already been preached (laughs) through the music, through the words. I have prepared a sermon. This is don't worry, it's but it's one of those moments, and it happens often in ministry, those of us who've been in it, but not all the time, but it happened today. So reflect on all that you have sung, reflect on all that you have heard now as you hear these words. We're gonna keep progressing through our series on Isaiah holding out hope. And this has been a good work for all of us who are listening and for those who have been preaching as well. And today we come to chapter 33. But before we read those scriptures, as I scan this congregation, as I scan those of you who are watching online, I'm imagining who's watching, sitting on your sofas, out in your backyard, wherever you might be. I see lots of people coming from all different kinds of walks. All of us have a different story. All of us have a different context in which we are operating in right now. And in those differences, it would be easy to believe that nobody could possibly get how challenging or hard it might be for each of us. And to a certain degree, you would be right. For me or anybody else to say, I know exactly what you are going through is not and will never be completely accurate. Even if our experiences are similar, there are no two alike. That being said, believing no one gets our situation can also lead us to stuckness. It leads us to believe that our circumstances cannot be resolved because our experience is so unique, so we just give up. Over the years of my work with other churches and pastors and church leaders, I hear often, "Oh, but you don't know our situation, our town, our people are crazy, busy, and there's so much pressure to succeed. Trying to get them to, you fill in the blank," is almost impossible. Well, actually, there's a category for this. Terminal uniqueness. (laughs) Terminal uniqueness, it's a real thing, is a perception disorder focusing intensely on the unique challenging factors facing me, my workplace, my ministry, you name it. And the primary symptom of this is identifying the obstacles and leaving them there. It's easier to blame the obstacle and do nothing. And while we may not be able to blast through all obstacles, letting them completely stop us cannot, cannot be an option. You know, I wish I didn't know this. I've had so many moments I want to say, yeah, but you don't know this. Or, I wish I didn't know that. But God's reminding us, you need to know that. So as we go to chapter 33, we know that previous to this, we have been wallowing with the Israelites in their refusal of the people to trust God more than their own thinking. They were stuck. In this chapter, it seems the prophet, speaking for our great God, is offering some words of confidence to Jerusalem in this time of the Assyrian threat. He is showing them the obstacles he is inviting their response in the form of worship and acknowledgement of God and offering them the gift of a solid checklist to move them toward living on the heights. He's showing them there's a better way in living for God. There's an answer to their problem if they would but listen and obey. So this morning we're going to grapple with the words of Isaiah 33:1 to 16 One portion at a time, and I will offer some reflections on each part. But the one thing I want me to know, I want you to know, is that you are not stuck. Isaiah 33 1. And you could open your Bibles if you want, or you can watch on the screen. Woe to the destroyer who yourself have not been destroyed. You treacherous one, with whom no one has dealt treacherously. When you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. And when you have stopped dealing treacherously, you will be dealt with treacherously. That's a good start, huh? The first obstacle that we hit is that we feel like so often we live in a destroyer culture. And this chapter begins with that lament of the people speaking directly to their pride and the attack of the Assyrians. And in Hebrew, the word destroyer also means betrayer. If we allow the culture to guide us, we too will be betrayed. Count on it. We will live in fear, we will be stuck. And while the present times are hard, it is the Assyrians who are going to now be taking the next turn. And God promises, it's coming to you now. The people of Israel are no longer depending on other nations to help them, thankfully. They finally realize that they have nowhere to turn but God. So what is our response to this obstacle? To acknowledge the God who is our salvation. He's a rescuer. I told you the sermon's been preached. <laughs> Verse 2. O oh Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. This is a plea for God's intervention. First, they call God to be gracious, to, to treat them kindly. Second, They declare, they are waiting for God. They are putting their hope in God. What a dramatic reversal of attitude from what was going on in chapters 29 and 30, if you recall that. And in third, they ask God to be their arm. Now, this is often used throughout the Bible to symbolize spiritual power or strength. And we all know how important arms are in doing tasks which require strengths. One of my takeaways from my sabbatical was one I didn't like, and that was I had tennis elbow during that time from painting ceilings. You know, that was, that was a small piece of what I did, but hey, I had tennis elbow, and I didn't realize, you don't realize until you have an arm that you cannot use, and some of you know this better than, than even me, how often you're using your arms, every day in the little, even just lifting a full glass of water was a little bit of, okay, here it goes. It's getting better now. Don't worry. You don't have to give me any remedies at this point. I think we're going to be good. <laughs> but our arms are important. And they ask God, be our arm every morning. The first thing. And then fourth, they ask God to be their salvation in the time of trouble. To be their rescuer. To be their deliverance in the midst of this calamity. Verses 3 to 6. At the sound of tumult, peoples fled. Before your majesty, nations scattered, spoil was gathered as scattered, uh, gathered as the caterpillar gathers, as locusts leap. They leaped upon it. The Lord is exalted, he dwells on high, he filled Zion with justice and righteousness. This section, oh, there's more. He will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge, the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. I thought about this section declares loud and clear that we trust in God and God will respond. And it starts by saying God spoke in the thunder. And you know, God convicted me for years. Everybody always says God, when it's thundering, God's talking. Well, Isaiah just said that. So I stand corrected. God is speaking. The Lord is exalted. He is supremely esteemed praised. He dwells on high. And now, for the gifts. How does he respond? He filled Zion. That's the hill upon which the city of David, Jerusalem, was built. And you see that in some of the pictures. The high place of worship. He filled Zion with justice. He filled Zion with righteousness. And here's a fun fact. Generally speaking, the Hebrew definition for justice is righteousness. And the Hebrew definition for righteousness is justice. Now, there is a little bit of a difference because justice is usually associated with judgments or decisions that set things right. While righteousness describes our personal involvement in dealing with injustices and responding to the needs on the margins. So that's how he responds. And who will he be? The stability of our times. In Hebrew he's the firmness of our times. When I was studying that this week I just stopped there. The stability of our times. What how great of a gift is that? I don't need to tell you our lives as humans are unstable. Nothing can be guaranteed tomorrow or even today or even in the next few seconds. And who of us have felt very unsettled, especially in these last years? But here's what I do know. God can be our stability. And in this time of sabbatical that I just had, where I was able to break away from the function of ministry and be a child of God and rest in that, I realize more and more and more that the only thing that we can truly count on in all of eternity is our God who loves us. The other things are always going to be unstable. That's why we spend time in the Bible, listening to God, speaking to God, being on the road with other followers, sitting in creation where we can find some measure of peace, even in the most chaotic of times. It keeps us grounded. And then it said, God will also be the abundance of salvation, delivering us, rescuing us, the abundance of wisdom, the ability to use rightly the knowledge that we've been given, the abundance of knowledge, learning God's ways, allowing our mind to take in what God so wants to give us. I discovered this past week that Isaiah likes the word abundance. Danielle read it several times in her passage last week, abundance of wisdom, knowledge, Salvation. And the fear of the Lord, reverent obedience, deep respect is our treasure. Now we could just stop right here and have a momentary celebration, a party, do a happy dance. Thank you, God, for the abundance. Thank you for the stability. But let's move on to seven to nine. Listen. The people of Ariel cry out in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. The highways are deserted. Travelers have quit the road. The treaty is broken. Its oaths are despised. The people are disregarded. The land mourns and languishes. Lebanon is confounded and withers away. Sharon is like a desert. And Bashan and Carmel Carmel shake off their leaves. We come to the second obstacle, the wilderness of life. Have you felt like so far in this passage we've been on a roller coaster? It gets good, and then all of a sudden, back to the lament. And then good, and then back to the lament, and good. Well, we look at a wilderness here. One commentator says this is the congregation pathetically bewailing their situation. The highways are... Too dangerous for travel. Jerusalem continues to lament. There's drought, even in the most fertile areas. Leaves are falling off the trees. While we think of this image, we know that our life is also a wilderness. There are times of discouragement. There is a lack of passion. There are those flat moments where our faith just feels same old, same old. We get stuck here. But of course there's hope because Isaiah knows the hope of the Lord and he reminds us often. And the Lord heard the lament of the people and God responds. And I'm going to have you read this with me. And when we get to the word now, I want the word now to be sung, said loudly. You don't have to sing it. Just say, say it with me, okay? Let's read Isaiah 33:10. Ready? Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift up myself up. Now I will be exalted. Blessed be the name of the Lord because that is our response to the wilderness life is to worship the God of now. There're 3 nows. Welcome back stability. After that drought and deserted highways, welcome back. God disrupts our wilderness. He breaks us out of our stuckness. He rises up and he says, Now I will arise. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. I will be praised. 11 to 14. You conceive chaff. Here we go. <laughs> Roller coaster. You bring forth stubble. Wind like a fire will consume you, and the peoples will be as if burned to lime, like thorns cut down that are burned in the fire. Hear you who are far away, what I have done. And you who are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with a devouring fire? Who among us can live with everlasting flames? Obstacle number three, stuck in a rut. God tells the Assyrians, with all the dryness, a fire is going to sweep across you. The empire is going to be destroyed. And those of you who are not following God are going to experience the same. And then these two verses cause those questions to pop. Who among us can live with this devouring fire? Who among us can live with everlasting flames? Yes, who can? In our human efforts, nobody Left to ourselves, our judgment would be harsh. We would be demolished. We would stay stuck in this rut. But God has an answer to these questions as we head down the home stretch, and it's going to be on the high part of the roller coaster. And this is where we will close our thoughts on this, starting with we keep coming back to the same verse. Well, I'm going to read those to you. Those who walk in righteously and speak up uprightly, who despise the gain of oppression, who wave away a bribe instead of accepting it, who stop their ears from hearing of bloodshed and shut their eyes from looking on evil, they will live on the heights. Their refuge will be the fortresses of rocks their food will be supplied, their water assured. Here we find the promise, God's invitation to a better way. We find a roadmap, a checklist for letting God's character be our priority. This, my friends, is where the hard work begins. And I'm going to get to this. Our, the, the obstacle is back there somewhere. But the response is, we're going to follow, the obstacle itself, I'm sorry, is stuck in a rut, and the response is following God to the heights, and that's what we're going to do. And this is where the hard work begins. So in the bulletin cover, if you looked at that, you'll see a quote by Justo Gonzalez, who says, if we truly believe in the forever reign of God, we will start practicing it now. And then over sabbatical, I read this quote that many attribute to Dorothy Day, the Catholic worker activist. Everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. (laughs) This is what this list is, doing the dishes. God is to be trusted. God is to be exalted. God will bring stability in our times, abundant salvation, abundant wisdom, abundant knowledge, but we are called to obey him as we follow Jesus And it takes a good and hard work on our part. we got to do the dishes. We need humility, courage, perseverance, trust, faith. And this passage provides a strong checklist. In 2009, Atul Gawande published a book, The Checklist Manifesto. I'm not sure how many of you have read that. As a surgeon, he discovered something that the Air Force had known for years, is that when you... Have a strong and detailed checklist. You will get things right and you will get them better. And he started developing this in his hospital where he was working and found his surgeons had much better surgeries and much better success by having strong checklists. Now, we could go on and on in that book. But Isaiah gave us the gift of a checklist here. Let's take a look at it. One, walk righteously. Live justly. Live right. Right. Walk on the heights in God's invitation to a better way. Being a follower of Jesus goes beyond a a passive belief or just following kind of at a distance. It involves us being on Jesus' team in our character and our actions. We are each strong and weak and living justly and righteously. And this is the beauty of the kingdom of God. I can look around here, and you all compliment me in so many different ways, as in not saying nice things, but as in C-O-M-P-L-E, compliment as in geology. Uh, That thing that I took in math, yes. Geometry, Geometry, thank you, thank you. complementary angles, right? Right? Okay, you are those. You are those for each other. Now you're going to remember that point, aren't you? Okay, second on the checklist is speaking uprightly and speaking the truth. And you know, this is probably one of the hardest ones for us to do. Uh, Let's pull away just for the moment from the simple lying or telling the truth and getting into the even harder part of speaking the truth into injustice and and helping people to grow in their faith, and speaking that truth, uh, and listening to it as well. Let our work together be founded on love-driven justice, where we speak that truth, and we receive that truth. And then these next ones, I decided I'm not changing the Bible here, but I wanted, the next three were on the negative side. We're going to go positive in what we should be for. We're going to be for freedom, which is despising the gain of oppression. And this is where the list gets very pointed. These next three may not typically be on your godly character checklists because oppression is pervasive, and we know it's there, and we work through it. And there are many different ways, everything from using others, to excluding, to dominating those who are powerless, to taking over another culture, to causing fear through physical threats. And I'm happy to discuss any more of these because we could go into such depth. But we wanna be people who are for freedom. We are free Methodists. We want to live more in freedom and live for that. Fourthly, be a person of integrity that we would be honest, that we would wave away a bribe. In the Hebrew, bribe is a corrupt gift. It's often mentioned in the Bible, and scriptures, business owners or judges. We're often the target of bribes, and we most often hear about bribes done by others. But wait a minute. In what way are we bribing? Hey, God, if you answer this prayer, then I will or fill it in. This checklist says refuse it. Be honest. Be people of integrity, be for peace. It's no secret that we live in a world that's, that's full of violence and that that's often an option and it's the go-to. And lately I've been uh, listening to the book, King, A Life, uh, the, the very long biography of Martin Luther King by Jonathan Eig, and just reminded how hard it was to live that nonviolence response, how incredibly hard it was. But we're called to do that. We are called to be peacemakers. And then finally, we are to cast our eyes on the good. Shut our eyes from looking on evil. Psalm 101.3 says, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Matthew 6.22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. The Bible is full of references about our eyes. And so here is our checklist. And what's the outcome? The outcome is this. That we will live on the heights with God. You know, and the heights are good where good things happen. From the heights, we can rise above and get the beautiful view or the bigger view. From the heights, we can see what's coming. From the heights, we will rise above the noise and chaos to the quiet. In biblical times, the high place was in Hebrew, the place of worship. God's inviting us, calling us to live on the heights. He has for us a place where our refuge will be the fortress of rocks our food supplied, our water assured. Where are you stuck? What obstacles are stopping you right now in your own life, your own journey with Jesus? Is culture overwhelming you? Are you in the wilderness, feeling flat, passionless, want more for your faith? Are you in a rut? You know, we're in the presence of a great God this morning and he wants to extend his goodness and his grace that washes over us. We're invited to live on the heights. And you know, we're starting to move into a time of year where a lot of new opportunities to grow are going to come into place. New small groups, new ministries, New opportunities. I know those of us who work all year long, this is just another season. But how about if the fall becomes a new year for us living on the heights as a church, as individuals? You don't have to stay where you are. God's grace and strength is sufficient. As always, this altar's open if you'd like to pray with somebody. But let's let God speak to us. Move us, take one of these points that would move us out of that stuckness and take on the goodness and the grace of God. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.